but the tears I think are just coming from how proud I am of myself and of my company, honestly, for getting through that season and being reborn in a way when I thought maybe I had really screwed it all up. You know, I thought maybe if I close the agency, I won't have a business anymore. Meg Holiday is a feminist business mentor who helps women get to their first six figures in their first year of business. And I know you're going to relate to how she got here. She started her own business by simply saying yes to helping people left and right with anything they needed, websites, lead pages, whatever anyone would pay her for. But then the pandemic hit. And as she found freelance work drying up, she decided to scale her business to an agency model, which worked for a while, until it didn't. And then she found herself closing her doors and having to tell her longtime clients that she was no longer going to serve them. Um, it could have been so much worse, but it stuck with me just how it feels to disappoint someone you care about. In this episode, I asked Meg about each season in her business when she grew, scaled, burned it to the ground, and started over with a new coaching model, where now 84% of her clients have their biggest month yet while working with her. Now, we had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but I kept the full interview inside our uncut vault at theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut, which you can access completely free. In the full version, you will hear more about Meg's early decisions, dropping out of college at 19, her first marriage and divorce, and all the tiny decisions that led her to where she is today. For this and more details, watch the full version for free at theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while riding your bike for some reason, I'll give you the best business advice you'll get today, which will also help you right now. Stay in your lane. If you like that, go to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the coach who has an amazing pivot story to tell, Meg Holiday. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career path responsible for multiple self-made millionaires, opening the doors for experts and professionals like you and me to stop living paycheck to paycheck and design a rich and abundant life with one purpose, to help others. I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach. Listen for lessons and strategies that will turn you into the next global phenomenon. Today's episode begins now. Today we have the wonderful Meg Holiday, also known as Meg Witt. Don't worry, we're going to explain. Hi, Meg. I am so excited to talk to you today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, we have so much to cover, but before we get into it, can you please tell everyone what do you do and who do you help right now? Okay, so I am a business coach for feminist founders, and I help them have their biggest month yet in their service-based business first, and then I help them create their first six-figure year. Love it. Okay, why don't we start with the name? Because I feel like that's going to be the question in everybody's mind. Um, you are, you have a podcast. Uh, can you please tell everybody what your podcast is? Plug it right here. Uh, tell everybody <laughs> yeah. what it is. 
For sure. My podcast is Six Figs, and which is short for six figures, but I love the idea of figs as a, an abundance kind of metaphor, um, which is perfect for sales coaching and for women who are growing their businesses. So Six Figs is the name of my company and also my podcast. And in your podcast, uh, I noticed that you go by Meg Witt. Uh, however, when we booked this interview, you went by Meg Holiday. And I feel like this will be a great opportunity, a great platform for you to explain the difference. You know, when I when you first came on, I'm like, I don't know how to ask about it. Was there a sad story that I shouldn't <laughs> approach? And you never know how to ask. So this is your chance to come clean about the name. Okay, so Wit, W-I-T-T, is my maiden name. I am married. I never took my husband's last name, but about a year ago, I decided, I've been thinking about it for quite a while, but it was about a year ago that I decided to start going by holiday instead of Wit because it's a name that I chose, and I decided I didn't want to carry a man's last name that I had inherited from either my father or my husband that I felt really empowered to choose my own last name. And I, um, I thought about it quite a bit. What should I choose? But to be honest with you, Holiday was there from the beginning. I'm a big fan of Billie Holiday. I also just love, obviously, the vacation vibes that Holiday evokes. I think it's a very pretty, very classic and also relaxed word. And I don't, I just, I wanted it. It felt like mine. As soon as I said Meg Holiday, I thought that's what it is. Now, I like to start before we get into your business and, and there's, there's so many places around I go to, to check in your story, but I like to start the way back. Can you tell us where you were born? What was it like growing up being you? Oh, way back. Okay. So I was, you know, born in the eighties and I was actually born here in Northeast Ohio where I live right now. And then the summer before I started high school, which is a pretty tricky time to, to make a big move like this. My parents moved us back to the Cleveland area in Northeast Ohio. So, um, that was a big transition in my little life. I was 15 years old, a freshman in high school, going to a new school and then also in a new country. When you were in high school, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? An English teacher. Where did the plan go a different way? Um, let's see. I entered college as an English major, and I think I claimed English as my major most of the way through and then switched it to business in my third year. Um, Wait, what happened? I, um... Well, to be honest with you, I went to school in my early 20s, at community college as an English major, and then I dropped out. And then about 10 years later, I went back after my son was born. Uh, I can't believe you were just going to like, yada, 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 your way out of 10 years of story right there. I'm trying to, you know, synthesize everything and make it as short as possible. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did sort of yada yada my way through a decade there. So I dropped out because like I said, I was never a really happy, good student. So I dropped out. And then I traveled, I spent time in Scotland for a few months, I spent time in Egypt for a couple of months when I was um, 19. Came home, married my high school sweetheart. 
at 19 years old. It was one month before I turned 20. Um, that marriage only lasted for a few years. Unfortunately, I left when I was 23 mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, it was kind of single and partying and doing all the things you do in your twenties. And I, I dropped out of college and then I got pregnant with my son at 29 and my son's father's family offered to pay for me to go back. He came from a really affluent family, very amazing, supportive family. I love them so much. Mm-hmm. And um, his mom actually, who owns a company, owned a company, she's retired now. Um, she's that true matriarch. She has you know, a couple of master's degrees and she had this very successful multi-million dollar business that she had built over two decades of her career. And she um, offered to pay for me to go back to school and I'll be forever indebted and grateful to her for that. So I went back when my son was six months old and my goal was to graduate with my bachelor's before he went to preschool. So that's what I did. I would love to know, because I want to start talking about 2018, right? When the business actually came into play, right? When the the, the coaching and uh, the Dreamweaver podcast, like when all of these things started to come in. So what can you tell us to help us jump from you got your bachelor's to 2018. If you can tell us like just a bridge, because we're going to start talking business. Okay. Like this. So this is the bridge. I got my bachelor's. My son went to preschool. He was three. I was 33, something like that. And just for context, I'm going to be 40 this summer. So that's, that's where we are now in 2022. I'm going to be 40. Happy this birthday. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm going to Italy for my birthday. I'm very excited. Yes. So, so he went to preschool. I finished my undergrad. I was working for Cleveland yoga full-time teaching yoga and managing. I left Cleveland yoga after four years of working there. I'd been in the yoga world for eight, but after four years of working there to work for Starbucks. And I did that because it felt like one of those secure career moves. I was going to manage a Starbucks store and I wanted the 401k and the health insurance. And I wanted a salary increase and an opportunity to move up potentially and become a district manager. Cause I had heard district managers made like $80,000 and that was more money than I had ever considered making. And I thought, well, gosh, if I could become a district manager at Starbucks, I'd really be rolling in the dough, you know, you've made it. I've made made it. it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I left Cleveland yoga and I got into Starbucks and lo and behold, I hated it and realized I don't like corporate culture at all. And I, you know, it's like, I don't like school. Starbucks managing a Starbucks store is very much for people who are good at school, in my opinion, because it's very structured. You know, there is a way to do everything. They have it down to a science. And if you can nail that and then train people to nail it, you're good. But I think outside the box, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I just didn't know it yet. And so, you know, the creative side of me and the part of me that loves variety and gets bored very quickly was not having Starbucks, nor did I really find it interesting to wake up at four in the morning every day to open a store downtown. So I actually left Starbucks for the Cleveland flea, which is a very important piece of the story because the Cleveland flea is now closed, sadly, but for about eight years, it was this beautiful mythical organization in Cleveland that was like a business incubator for small businesses. So every month they would meet in a big parking lot. 
sometimes up to 200 small businesses. And it was like a giant party. And all of these small businesses would make all kinds of money on a random Saturday in Cleveland because they had exposure. And sometimes those parking lots would have up to 10,000 visitors on a Saturday. And I became the director of that organization, became friends with the owner. And the Cleveland Flea was the company I was with when I started my business in 2018. So I think the Cleveland Flea was that mind-blowing exposure to small business owners and realizing, okay, corporate's not for me, but this, this is for me. Like these women who own cotton candy stands and little clothing boutiques and make their own candles, this I like, you know? So I started my company uh, a few months into working uh, for the Cleveland Fleet, I think because I was surrounded by so much entrepreneurship and creativity, I wanted to be a part. I felt like I was missing out. So I wanted to start start something. And then I left a few months later after my business started taking off. What is your quitting your job story? My quitting my job story, to be honest with you, is that my boss came to me and said, it's either me or your business. And I said, it's my business. And I left. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I wish it was a sexier tale, but that's the story. Yeah, that is crazy. Where was he coming from? What was so was she? Bringing this up? Yeah, she was she was actually um, I said to her, am I not doing my job? And she said, no, the opposite. You are. But I think she started to get worried she was going to lose me, to be honest, because I was working very hard and becoming integral at the flea. And now I had this new business on the side. And I think, you know, the writing was sort of on the wall. So I think maybe a little fear and a little, you know, a little like you're, you're cheating on me with your business kind of feeling. Um, and yeah, the ultimatum was given. And I, I thought, well, it was that first moment when I was very clear that it wasn't a hard decision. You know, I was going to leave for my business for sure. Yeah. Now here is where I want to get into what were the pivots that have happened? Because it's been four years. You and I actually started our businesses around the same time back in 2018. Yeah. And for me, my every year is basically been a, a different evolution of my business, right? Um, one of my clients uh, asked us the other day, who here has changed their ideal client and why did you change it? I'm like, okay, let me count the ways, first of all. Hey. Like, right? Hey. So I'd love to know, your list like who have you served in the past four years and how has it changed oh my gosh year one it was anyone who will give me money to help them in their business in any way <laughs> so I was doing inventory remember I have quite a background in retail from managing the boutiques at Cleveland Yoga and Starbucks and I didn't go into it but I also worked in high school in early 20s and other retail jobs so I have quite a long history in retail so I was helping a lot of brick and mortars with inventory and visual displays and sales training and um, I love photography photography has been a hobby of mine since my son was born so I was helping people with brand photography, um, you name it, building their Squarespace websites, helping them create business plans, anything I had learned from business school, I threw in there. I would make an offer out of anything. It was like, I'm your girl. I'm your unofficial business partner who's going to help you with whatever you don't know how to do in your small business. Never mind that I had just started my own small business. <laughs> but if I had taught myself how to do it, I would teach you and I would help you how to do it. So 
that was year one was just, I'm a small business consultant for, I think I used to say for women owned businesses. And, um, it wasn't more specific than that. And then in year two, it, I actually opened an agency aspect of my business where we did business management, Facebook ads, podcast production, everything. So I had an agency season of my business. And then after the agency season of my business, I realized I really wanted to coach on sales, which is around when I changed, changed my business name to six figs. Um, I really wanted to coach on sales. And I learned that because in every conversation I had with a small business owner, we would end up talking about money. <laughs> it just kept happening. Like, okay, we're talking about marketing and customer service and programming and all of this. And then I would go, but are you making money? And they would go, kinda, was usually the answer. Are you paying yourself yet? And they'd go, I'm paying myself a little. And I'd say, have you had a 10K month yet? No, I haven't had a 10K month yet. Okay, now we're gonna talk because this is my area that I wanna talk. So I, I slowly over the past two years have niched into helping people make more money. And I specifically target feminist founders with service-based businesses. So not as much the brick and mortar and, and the products any longer. Okay, there is a story in there that I really want to hear the story about. But first, the next 60 seconds are your toot my own horn moment. I want everyone to know about the, the success that you've achieved over the past four years. So I want you, to, this, is, this is your moment to tell us what are your proudest accomplishments over the past four years and the successes that you've had. Tell us that right now. Okay, my proudest accomplishment is that 84% of the women who join my programs have their biggest month yet while they're working with us, which is so exciting. And the average growth percentage, meaning how much they grew in their biggest month yet from their second biggest month yet is over 400%, which is wild. So that's exciting. Also my mastermind that I hosted last year, it ended the start of this year. I'm doing it again right now. All of the women in the mastermind had their first six figure year while working with me which is insanely exciting. So those are the two things I'm most proud of. And then I would say if I had to add a third thing in there, it is how much my mindset has grown over the past four years. I don't feel like I think the same way that I used to think. And I'm proud of that because I've done a lot of work to get there just through coaching, having my own life coaches and business coaches and so much self-coaching as well. But I'm very, very dedicated to that. And I'm, I'm mostly proud for myself of how much I've grown my thinking um, since I started the business. So th those are my big three. Thank you so much for sharing that because I want everyone to understand what a kick-ass entrepreneur you are and how far oh. you've come and uh, everything that you've everything that you've done has been through like blood, sweat, and tears. Like this is, you know, this is sacrifice. This is, you know, we, we putting yourself out there is not easy. And from everything that you, everything that you've shared, everything that you've gone through and all my research just shows that you are just such an amazing woman. And I want everybody to know that right now. So, because the next story that I want you to tell us about is one that 
I know a lot of people are going to relate to, especially when they're thinking about or they're experimenting with changing their niche. So you just mentioned that there was a period in your business where you went full agency. So this was around the pandemic time, right? Where people, you know, the, the impression was, okay, people are not going to be paying for a lot of really like high ticket coaching programs. So how can we adjust? Okay, let's just do what we can do for everybody. From the moment that you decided, I need to close down this agency and focus on something else and start focusing on more coaching. You mentioned in your podcast that, you know, there were mistakes made, that there were, you know, there was a lot to learn from, you know, letting, letting go people, um, you know, fulfilling your, your obligations to close it down, how it was communicated and shared with the actual clients. And I, I would love to hear that story. So everybody uh, so everybody knows exactly what went on and what we can learn from that. It's so interesting because as you're asking me this, I'm feeling the tears already. And um, it's not thankfully tears because um, of how challenging that season was. <laughs> and it was very challenging. If I, you know, have to point to probably top two most challenging seasons in my business, that was it when I decided to close the agency. Um, but the tears I think are just coming from how proud I am of myself and of my company, honestly, for getting through that season and being reborn in a way when I thought maybe I had really screwed it all up. You know, I thought maybe if I close the agency, I won't have a business anymore. And I really had to sit with that. I had to lay awake at night with the possibility I have all these clients who are paying me monthly for these services that I don't want to offer anymore. I have to let all of these people, all these contractors go because I can't, I don't want to pay them anymore. This is getting out of hand and then I'm going to lose all these clients. So then what if I make $0 next month? And I couldn't, can't afford to make $0. Most people can't. Um, and it was very scary. I, I think you, you probably listened to this. I, I think I paid 40 or $50,000, something like that. I had to pay off, you know, and I didn't put it on a credit card or take out a business loan. So I actually asked everyone to be patient with me while I paid every invoice and did every, re every client refund I needed to do and paid every invoice I needed to pay for my contractors. It was about 40, between 40 and $50,000. And I did it in six weeks in cash. And um, what was hard is that, of course, I didn't have any money because every dollar that came into the company had to go back out. So it was a very draining season. But I also was able to walk away with it being clean and complete and learning the lessons I, I needed to learn. I think the biggest lesson is that when you make decisions in your business that aren't rooted in desire, actual deep desire, your own, not your client's not, you know, society's desire or what your niche is telling you it needs, but just from your own, what do I want to do with my time? How do I want to show up to serve? It's a slippery slope because then you'll start making decisions based on the money you can make, what your clients are asking for, what the climate is in the world. At the time it was, it felt like a wise decision because um, COVID had just happened and I quickly fell into a belief, a fear-based belief that people wouldn't pay for coaching. And I started the agency based on that. And um, I think it was a hard lesson, but it was needed for me because I think 
I would have probably continued to make decisions based on what's working, what's not, what are people asking for, what will make us money if I didn't have the experience of the agency and I do not make decisions like that anymore. <laughs> I really don't. Tell us more about that old way of making decisions and what everybody should walk away from this podcast, knowing how to make decisions from now on. Yeah. So I teach in my programs that the only filter you should be using to make decisions in your life and in your business is what do I desire here? That's it. And I can tell you that for women in particular, that's a really hard one. That's a really hard one for women and for those who identify as women. That is a hard decision to go, am I going to ignore people pleasing, what my partner wants, what my kid wants, what my boss wants, what my clients want, and really go all in on what I want? I don't know. That sounds risky. <laughs> that sounds a little terrifying. We're not used to prioritizing our desires first and foremost. And I teach this over and over and over in my programs. What is your desire? Sometimes I ask women, what is your desire? And they don't know. It's very common actually to not be able to respond to that question with certainty. So then we have to figure out how do we know what we desire? How does a person know what they want if they've gone their whole life doing things that other people want? They get very confused. What are my desires? What are their desires? So a good place to start is if there was no consequence, if there was no negative consequence to my decision, what would I choose? That that's is, good that's just hard to answer. <laughs> that is such a hard question. Because, you know, one thing that I am curious about, because uh, I would love to hear this is when you made that decision, I would love to know, because this is our first concern. So I know everybody listening wants to know, what were the worst reactions that you encountered from clients when you decided to close down? Oh, that's such a good question. You ask the best questions. Oh man, I could talk to you all day. You ask the best questions. Okay. So the worst reaction I got probably wasn't even the worst reaction if we were to objectively look at it, but the one that stuck with me the most as painful was I called one of my elite clients. We called them elite clients if they were spending, I think, 4000 a month on retainer um, with us. And I called her to let her know that I was closing down the agency. And then I, I said to her, what this means is that either A, we can continue through the end of your contract and I will be taking over, or B, you can work with your contractor directly moving forward, you know, like I can set you up and you can work with them directly or see, I can refund you for your remaining time. And her response was, I just, I, I, I just can't talk to you about this right now. I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, this is right before my launch and da, 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 you know, and she, I guess like her emotional overwhelm at that moment sort of just came crashing down on me. <laughs> and, um, it felt like a very abrupt conversation and you could tell she was very upset and I respected her a lot. She was one of my favorite clients and I looked up to her and respected her a lot. And I think for me, even though she didn't respond terribly, it's not like she cussed me out or, <laughs> you know, left me a terrible review online or anything like that. 
Um, it could have been so much worse, but it stuck with me just how it feels to disappoint someone you care about, how it feels to not be able to give someone what they want and for them to say to you, you're not, essentially, you're not giving me what I want and I'm disappointed. I had to sit with that feeling and it's an uncomfortable feeling. It's an uncomfortable feeling to know that a decision you made is affecting someone else emotionally in that way. And I had to do a lot of coaching around her emotions and her response is her responsibility, not mine. My responsibility is to show up with integrity, deliver what I said I would, or a refund or this, you know, give all the options to be an integrity for as a service provider and to have an open conversation with her. That's my responsibility. Her responsibility is how she responds to that. And um, it was hard for me through all of that to not internalize everybody's disappointment. I think that's probably the biggest fear that we all have when, you know, if we were to ask ourselves that question, what would I do if there were no negative consequences? And the fear is, but wait, but there could be. And I could have someone react that way. So what is our, our next step? So we've decided, okay, I am going to make this really hard decision in my business. By the way, everybody who's listening, you know what that hard decision is because you already know what is the decision you'll be shying away from. So think about that and how hard that's going to be and decide right now, okay, I'm going to do it. The next thing is, okay, I'm dead scared of what the reaction is going to be. Let's say, yes, the reaction is going to come. What would be your next tip, Meg, for how to move past it so that we can continue to make decisions based on our desire? Yeah. So the next step is to ask yourself, how would I want to be approached in this way? If, it, if it's something where you're dealing with another human, right? So if that's not the case, if it's just you taking the step to, um, I don't know, maybe, well, I guess it would apply here too. If you were to leave your day job and work for yourself full time, and you think there's going to be some disappointment from your boss, it's that, how would I want this information to be presented to me? So that classic golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but really take time to process the nuance of it. Would I want it to be in person? Would I want a phone call? Would I want this to be an email or a phone call? right? Would I want this to be, I'm giving you this information, now I'm running like hot potato? Or would I want it to be a conversation over coffee where I explain and I, and I give them an option of how this process could look together, give them multiple options. How do I want this other person to feel is really the question. How, and you can't control how they feel. They're going to choose. You have to accept they're going to choose how they feel. Even if you nailed the conversation and did everything perfect, you still don't get to choose how that person responds. That's hard, but that's maturity, right? That's emotional maturity and leadership is letting other people have their own feelings. So what you do is you show up on your end. How would I want someone to show up for me? And then that's how you show up for them. And then you give them space and permission to feel and however they're going to feel. And then here's step three. And this is probably the hardest step. You have to have your own back. Once you do it, you have to not go, oh, see, I knew I shouldn't have done it that way. And now this person's upset. And oh my God, what did I do? And maybe I should backtrack and change my mind. And maybe I'll stay and work part-time. And, or maybe I'll keep doing this thing with them, even though I, that's not really my niche anymore. And I don't want to do it anymore. No. Now 
is when you have your own back. And this is the hardest part. I, I know everybody felt it just as much as I did. We all have that decision that we need to make. Thank you so much for giving us the, the tools to yeah. handle it and take it from there. By the way, if anybody actually takes action on this decision, come and contact us and, and I will leave uh, Meg's information in the show notes. So you can go and tell her how much this impacted you and how it changed your life. Okay, we would love to hear that. So Meg, uh, this has been wonderful. I just have a couple more questions for you. Okay. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful businesswoman? Um, that it was easier for me. I think I get sometimes that, you know, oh, well, but you had a business degree or you had experience in management or you worked at the Cleveland fleet. Well, I worked at the fleet for seven months, you know, and my business degree was really more about corporate world business strategy. It was, I didn't learn anything about entrepreneurship, but a little bit of a sense of it worked for me or it's working for me and I seem to love it and it's doing well. And in year one, we went from 67 K something like that to our first six figure year in year two, we did over 300 K in year three. And then last year we did over 500. So last year was our first half a million dollar year. And we're projecting probably 750 this year. And I feel like there's sometimes a thought it's easier for Meg. And I've actually had people say that to me. So I think that's a common one is if you see someone who has something you desire to excuse that they have it because there's something they have access to that you don't have access to, if that makes sense. So if everybody had to do what you're about to tell them to do and they have no choice, they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would that thing be? They would go to their nearest local bookstore and they would buy a copy of Loving What Is by Byron Katie and they would read it and they would start to implement the four questions in their life and dig into their mindset work and they would do that work for the next 24 hours and every day for the rest of their life and that's what I would tell them to do. I will put the link in the show notes. <laughs> Meg, you are amazing. Really, thank you so much for being so generous and sharing all these stories with us. Um, can you please tell everybody what you have going on? How can people find you? Where do we follow you? A hundred percent. So you can find me at Six Figs Coaching on Instagram, as well as online. That's my web address as well. My podcast is Six Figs, two separate words spelled out six, S-I-X figs. Um, and we have new episodes every Wednesday morning. So I would love to have you over in that space as well. And we run two programs, the room and the table mastermind. And the room is for all new business owners who want to have their biggest month yet and really learn how to make more money doing what they love. And the room um, is offered twice a year. It's a five month kind of mini mastermind and it's for service-based business owners. And then the table mastermind is for graduates of that program who reach certain metrics and want to create a six figure, multiple six figure years. So those are the two programs that we offer. Thank you so much. We're going to put that in the show notes so everybody can go and follow it. Meg, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, Ina here. 
After this interview, you may be wondering how you can also sign the exact right clients by increasing your engagement on social media. In the next companion episode, I will share with you the three things you should be doing to get higher engagement with a small audience. Follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss it. If you would like to listen to the full interview with all those details that only the super fans want to know, go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut and get free VIP access to the full library of all our uncut interviews. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. You know that part in this episode that made you go, oh my God, I need to write that down. I want to know what that was. So go over to Instagram and find me at your engagement coach and send me a DM. I want to hear it. And if your business bestie is missing out on all of these juicy strategies, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode and share it to your stories. Remember to tag me so that I can thank you personally for all your support. I'll see you on the next episode.